Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 270. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And just as a quick programming note before we jump into our interview, I feel like there's been a lot of these lately because our fantastic podcast associate editor, Stacy, is so on top of her stuff. She's way ahead of schedule, which means that we recorded this episode actually quite a few weeks ago now. And Anne Shen was delightful to talk to, but we also, you're going to hear us in just a moment. We also talk very candidly about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the late great Supreme Court justice, as though she is still alive because she was at the time of this recording. So please know that we are speaking about RBG with the utmost respect. And at the time of this conversation, she was still on this earth. So RIP RBG and uh, enjoy this conversation, including some shout outs to the late great Ruth Bader Ginsburg just ahead. Today, I am full-on geeking out over my guest, who I have been a fan of from afar for a very long time. She is an uber-talented artist, an illustrator, a painter, and a best-selling author, Anne Shen. Anne Shen has over 10 years of industry experience working as a freelancer with incredible clients, including Disney, Facebook, Papyrus, and the New York Times. She's designed everything from theme park artwork to fashion doll packaging, editorial illustrations to apparel designs. You might know her for her incredible best-selling book, Bad Girls Throughout History from 2016. Now, in her latest book, Nevertheless, She Wore It, She breaks down radical looks from throughout history, from the flapper dress to the afro, Madonna's cone bra to Ruth Bader Ginsburg's descent collar, and really shares in a very robust narrative format how these looks defied their time and demonstrated the power of fashion as a political and cultural tool for making change, especially on behalf of women and women of color. She's gone on to write Legendary Ladies in 2018, and I'm thrilled today to speak to her about her latest book, Nevertheless, She Wore It, which hit shelves on September 1st, 2020. All three of her books have been published by Chronicle Books, and Anne is based in Los Angeles as an independent artist who is available for freelance work and frankly has just demonstrated how badass you can be as an independent artist and businesswoman in this world. Anne Shen, welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. So delighted to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. So your latest book, Nevertheless, She Wore It, just debuted September 1st. Congratulations. So exciting. Oh my gosh. Very exciting. And I absolutely want to dive into those subjects and that book and what it contains because fashion being political is so interesting and I really want to talk about that. Before we do, 
give us a little background. Like, how did you become so widely known for your artistic renditions of bad girls throughout history and iconic feminists? Like, how did you find your way to artistry? Oh, my gosh. It was a very long and meandering journey. I went to college for a degree in writing and photography the first Mm. time. So I moved to L.A., worked for a few years in nonprofits. And then after not really finding much satisfaction with the idealism I had in my early 20s (laughs) in working for nonprofits, I realized I needed to do something else that was more personally fulfilling. Yeah. And so I actually decided to go back to school and I went to art school and um, decided to make art and design my career. Yeah. And so I went back to school. It was really hard for three years. And then I got my first design job and was working on personal projects and freelance projects on the side the whole Mm. entire time. And and And, just to pause here, how did your parents feel about you spending three years going to design school? My mom was supportive because she had heard me lament so much about how unhappy I was with Mm. all my jobs. Mm Um, And my dad was very like, why would you take on so much student loans? Because I paid for um, I supported myself through school, but he was like, why would you take out so much student loans to go back to school for art? It is a fair question, right? I mean, it's 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 a risk, man. You're betting on yourself for sure. Oh, for sure. That's totally my philosophy. And I just felt like, you know what? I am going to make this work because I know I'm the kind of person where if you tell me I can't do something, I'm even more going to show you how well I could do it. I yeah. love it. Yeah, I get that. I, I identify with you there. Yeah. So it was challenging. It was very, it was a very lonely time because none of my friends understood either. And I really lost a lot of friends along the way because it requires so much dedication and focus. And if people don't really get what you're doing, it's, yeah, it's hard for them to hang on. And I got through that time. And then I worked for about three more years for the corporate world Mm -hmm. before I became a full time working for myself person. (laughs) (laughs) Which carries its own set of risks and rewards, certainly. Yeah. And I feel like you really, I mean, maybe it was just me, but I feel like you really came into my purview with bad girls throughout history. Was that a big breaking point for you? I think so. It was something that I had always, I had always wanted to write books, um, hence my first degree in writing. But then right. I kind of lost that passion for fiction writing for a while as, you know, you enter the real world and have to get jobs to pay bills. But I found my way back to it at towards the end of my time at art school because I had to work on a project that was basically reproducing a lot of making work that's reproducible and like spreadable basically. Yeah. And so I created a zine that was the birth of bad girls throughout history. I'm going to have to ask because I read your Forbes interview about this and I'm like, what the hell's a zine? (laughs) So it's something that comes out of like, it was really popular in the 90s. It's basically like a self-published little magazine that's well, usually it's just eight and a half by 11 folded in half because it's very lo-fi, very punk. You just like Xerox it or print it yourself and distribute it yourself. It sounds like it had some history or some sort of connotation with like the riot girl movement yeah, in the 90s, exactly. Right? Yes. It okay. was just like very DIY, very rebel culture. So I created Bad Girls Throughout History kind of in this 
same cultural vein. And at first it was just art, but I loved researching and finding all these women and their stories. And so I kept working on this after, even after I left school, um, I started doing like craft shows, comic conventions, things like that on the weekends, in addition to my day job. And the zine still got enough attention that I kept working on it and created a volume two. Because every time someone saw it who really got it, they would say, oh, do you also know about this woman or this woman? And it just, (laughs) right? It was so fascinating. And I just realized how little women were covered in history books or in articles or ever. (laughs) And there was such a huge gap even in 2011. Right. And at the time, I was also sending it out to design blogs. It was my mailer to kind of introduce people to my work because I felt like it really was also my voice and my passion and my what I was interested in creating a career out of, sharing the stories of women and people who are unheard and unseen. And where did that feminist sort of awakening happen for you? Because you know, being a writer, going to design school, that doesn't necessarily make one a feminist per se. Right, exactly. This is where I say like, it's really important to know who you are and develop who you are as a person. I have always been a feminist, like a little feminist since I was mostly because I experienced so much so much discrimination or just like unjustness between the way I was treated and the way my brother was treated, who's younger mm. than me. And then just seeing that being something that culturally happens where women are treated differently than men. And so that's Mm -hmm. always been a fire that's been inside me. And then when I was in college the first time, I did things like I performed in the vagina monologues where we raised money for um, local nonprofits that empowered women and also just had a great fellowship with other women every week when we were working and rehearsing. And then after, even after school, like one of the nonprofits Mm -hmm. I worked at was Planned Parenthood because it was another cause that I was really passionate about. And so it's always been a very present part of my, my interests and my voice to give voice to like, I'm a woman, here I am, and we all (laughs) need to be treated equally. And just all the different ways that we are suppressed, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to avoid, isn't it? Yeah. It <laughs> the, world, is. the world has a way of reminding us. It really is. Um, and what I love about your work, and this is absolutely applicable to your newest book as well, is that intersectionality in your feminism mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, it, it's sort of, it it's omnipresent, I would say. Yeah. In that you're really looking at whether it's the topic of fashion and gender and history or just rebellious women, you're really covering, you know, the well, I'll give you an example. The fact that your book starts with the Afro. And I think the third item that you break down in terms of in terms of feminist and uh, fashion's intersection is the banana skirt. Mm-hmm. Um, you really break down from a historical perspective, not just the gender components, but the race components as well. I mean, right? you can't talk about one without the other, right? The experience yeah. is not the same, even if you're a woman, depending on where you came from, how you got there. It's probably worth mentioning that. Are you a first-generation American? Yeah, my parents are immigrants, um, and I am a first-generation American. That's awesome. 
Well, congrats again, because I think that your artwork is everywhere. I, I, I feel like if anyone's ever been on Instagram um, or in cute <laughs> boutiques, coast to coast, you will come across Anne Shen art. And what I really admire about you and knowing more about your educational background, this makes sense, is that you're not just an artist. You're a very talented graphic and it's paint, right? You're a painter. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but you're also a very talented writer. Oh, thank you so much. Tell us a little bit about the latest book and why fashion was oh the topic to sink your teeth into. So Nevertheless, She Wore it is about iconic feminist fashion moments. Um, it includes like movements like the bloomers and the suffragette tricolor stripe to individual um, moments like Princess Diana's revenge dress. Um, nice. I decided to write about fashion because I felt like I've written about biographies of women. I've written about cultural context in terms of goddesses and archetypes from different countries mm. and cultures. But I wanted to talk about something that we can use every day as a tool to reclaim our femininity, our power, and also something that is seen as very culturally frivolous maybe, mm -hmm. but is actually super important and something we all do every day, get dressed, present ourselves in the world. Mm -hmm. and. It's something that we can control and how we feel about ourselves and therefore how we can take our power in the world. I love that. I feel like, and maybe this is just observing from afar, but you've always been very intentional with your fashion choices. I feel like your brand is very clear and it's reflected in how you dress yourself. Is that something that's been on your mind since the beginning or when did that become true for you? I love fashion. I love, I personally love fashion and makeup and playing with all that yeah. because it's such a way to, it's just another creative outlet, right? Mm -hmm. Like you see so many amazing artists, makeup artists and individuals like on YouTube using it as a creative outlet, as a form of therapy, as a form of self-expression mm -hmm. that's very therapeutic. And so it's always been that for me too. I love, I love seeing what other people wear. I love dressing myself up and presenting different images because mm -hmm. it's it's costume it's drag it's yeah. like this is my this is my professional outfit today or this is my like crazy artsy aunt outfit today <laughs> <laughs> right and it's it's so fun because it's part of it's part of how I get to present and play my part in this world like perform Fashion and the way you present yourself is mm -hmm. so much of performance in this world, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And exactly what you're saying reminds me of how much gender is a performance in your introduction. Oh, absolutely. Right? When Marlene Dietrich slipped on a man's tuxedo, you right, she showed the world that the masculine and feminine are in every person, that one doesn't have to be binary. And exactly. I just love that moment because it is, you know, you mentioned this fashion is drag and it's like, oh yeah, right. Gender is a performance and clothes are part of that. Exactly. You you have such a hyper feminine approach to fashion personally, do you not? That's my personal interest for sure. <laughs> yeah. What is that collar? <laughs> what is the name of that collar that you rock that's like the circular? Oh, like, like a little moon. Peter Pan collar? <laughs> yeah, Peter Pan collar. Like, I love a Peter Pan collar. It's I, true. I feel like I associate those with you for sure. So when writing this book, you run the gamut in terms of history, fashion moments, but also really kind of specific elements that were either in vogue at some point or in vogue right now. 
what surprised you the most in doing all of this research? Because I imagine there was a ton of research that went into this. Yes. Oh my gosh. There were so many things that were surprising, hilarious. I mean, just because we live now with the for you know, with the hindsight of what's happened since. But mm. like one of the funniest things was researching Capri Pants and Mary Tyler Moore because it is not Capri Pants are so innocuous now, right? right. And at the time she had to really fight with the network to just wear capri pants on the Dick Van Dyke show because the advertisers were so scandalized by seeing women in pants. Even though it's been probably 30 years since Marlene Dietrich wore that tuxedo, but seeing it on television in everyone's homes was a whole different level. And advertisers would just keep telling the show, the showrunner and her like, oh no, there's too much cupping. And oh, they're God. like, what, what are you talking about? And they're like, no, there's there's too much cupping down there. Oh, my God. <laughs> they were like, what are they talking about? And they realized that they thought that the Capri pants showed her cute little butt too much. So, they, <laughs> so she started, you know, but she was like, but this is how I and all my friends who are, you know, wives and housewives dress at home, right. like in just sweaters and Capri pants. And you could see they're like loose Capri pants. Right. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. They would be very scandalized by the modern day approach to the booty. Absolutely. (laughs) And so she would just, you know, she had her quiet rebellion where she wore looser pants and would hide them behind laundry baskets. Like she'd be carrying laundry baskets and things until people got used to seeing her in pants on on screen. Oh my gosh. So funny. crazy. I love that. I really loved your mention of the descent color. RBG is front and center on your book's cover, right? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Absolutely. And I actually was on the receiving end of a descent collar necklace from a good friend of mine once as a a gift uh, for kind of encouraging us to be rebellious and to dissent without apology. Tell me about tell me about that element of fashion and and politics. I love when leaders who have so much visibility use that to mm-hmm. be a way to be so conscious of expressing their their opinions, right? Like right. RBG with her dissent callers. She's obviously a um Supreme Court justice, so she cannot <laughs> be biased. She can't be partisan. However, she could still have her own personal expression and opinion, and she does it through clothing, right? Just like so many leaders do, like Hillary Clinton did with her white pantsuit, like um, Justice Sonia Sotomayor and AOC do with their red lips and hoops to represent mm-hmm. the Latinx culture, like the Queen does. And right. The UK with her brooches and her different suits or what tiaras mean. There's so much loaded context with fashion. Mm-hmm. And I love that political leaders who may not be able to be partisan are still able to have self-expression through that way, right? And to show support with the people that they know need to yeah. see it. Yeah. I mean, I love how your book is equal parts visually stimulating. And it's kind of a reader that you can pick up and put down as yeah. as you want. And every page you'll learn something new and funny and interesting. I'm – as someone who has had quite a hair journey myself, <laughs> I've like – I have a habit of 
chopping off all of my hair every once a decade. Um, and when I first started my business, Basta, back in 2013, I, I was rocking like a power pixie bleach blonde style. Mm-hmm. And I was thrilled to see the pixie cut get its due oh in my your gosh, book. Oh, so cute. <laughs> and the, the connection to women reclaiming power mm-hmm. and having a pixie cut was just, it's so timeless. And I'm so pleased to hear that that's kind of a universal experience because that was definitely my experience when you chop off all your hair. You're like, nothing that does not serve me is coming forward into this next chapter of my life. It kind of stops detractor. It tells people who you are right away. And it, I mean, a pixie is so, it's so liberating, I'm sure. And then also it's just saying this is, I'm brave and bold enough to rock a pixie. It's like, world, here's my face. Deal yeah, with it. Exactly. <laughs> There's no framing it. There's no hiding it. You're just like, here I am, world. Take it or leave it. Uh, I know. And you know you can't you can't say anything to a woman with a pixie, right? Like you can't true. tell them anything. Yeah. I used to say it was um, – I lived in D.C. at the time when I first chopped my hair down to a pixie. And I used to say it was like douchebag repellent. Yes, exactly. And it was like the only men who would even dare, or really women who would even dare, you know, yeah. sort of open a dialogue with me uh, or holler at me in some capacity were very cool people. So yes. it's like a law of attraction hair edition. <laughs> I um, love that. <laughs> so tell me one takeaway that you want readers to, to grab from your book. Um, or you think that women in general should take away from this project of yours in terms of how we think about dress as a powerful performance that mm-hmm. we're the creators of? I really want people to embrace and know that feeling good comes from within. And you could wear and present however you'd like in this world because we have one short beautiful wild life and it is your duty to feel good about yourself and present as who you are so that you can participate in this world take care of everyone else and enable someone else to also feel empowered to do so i love that well said Anne shen the creator the writer the feminist i just I just love like I'm have I'm total career crushing on your work right now. It's amazing. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. You have an amazing career too. So it's such an honor to hear that from you. Thanks. I feel like uh we've got a good thing going here. So where can our listeners get your book, first of all? And I will drop all those links in the show notes. And then if they want to learn more about you and your work and working with you, I'm sure you're a very busy woman these days, but where should uh they head to find out more? Okay, you could find my book wherever books are sold. So you could find them through independent bookstores or your favorite retailer online. And you could find me, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Anne Danger. And my website is Anne-Shen.com. Awesome. Very cool, Anne. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Emily. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move of the Week, which comes in from a comment left on our Instagram channel at Boss.org by Risa Rose 12 who wrote the following as her Fierce Friday check-in. Quote, I walked into my work on Thursday with a letter of resignation in my hand. Before giving it to my manager, I sent an email to my corporate partners to tell them I was leaving and why, because they have been my support system for the past few years. 
They called a few emergency meetings with some high-ranking members of the corporate leadership, and they're in the process of transferring me to a new manager who will better understand my job and will give me the kind of support I need to rock what I do. That's definitely not what I expected. Wow, Risa. First of all, congratulations for being ready to pull the trigger. Like, if you are at the end of your tether and you know that if big changes are not made, you have to walk into work with a letter of resignation for them to know you're serious. And then, importantly, before leaving, make it clear how dire the situation is. Tell them what you need in order to justify staying. This actually puts your employer in a position of testing how much they would actually fight to keep you, which is a strategy that's been popularized by Reed Hastings, the one of the founders or the CEO of Netflix, whose recent book, No Rules Rules, just came out. And they talk about this as a fight for you test. You know, if your boss, manager, CEO, executive team, if they won't fight to keep you, you should probably go. It's probably not the right place, um, at least if you have options. Now, obviously, everyone's set of privileges and circumstances are very different. But don't forget that you have more power than you think more often than not. And Risa, you've demonstrated this in your boss move of the week. So congratulations, boss. I hope you uh, you made them sweeten the deal for you, and I hope it all works out. All right, boss, I want to hear from you. What did you think about today's conversation with Anne Shen? Are you a fan of her work as much as I am? I feel like I was fangirling that entire interview there, but I really am such a big fan of her incredible artwork and her incredible writing. And I want to hear what political fashion choices you've made in the past. I told you about my power pixie days, and frankly, I think I'm losing my edge, y'all. Maybe it's time for another big chop over here. I don't know. I'm looking pretty normcore these days, but that's, that's okay too, right? I feel like surviving right now is a perfectly valid place to be, but tell me what political fashion choices you have made in the past. And someday when we're all back out and about and back on the streets and our sidewalks become catwalks again, and we actually have to think about what shoes we're going to put on for work, then we can start making more political, powerful fashion choices. In the meantime, let's all live vicariously through Anne Shen's great book, Nevertheless, She Wore It available wherever books are sold. I'll drop links in today's show notes. Thanks as always for tuning in and head to bossedup.org slash episode 270 to learn more and get all of our related links. Thanks as always for listening and let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose so that together we can lift as we climb.